Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From NJ.com, this is Talk is Cheap, a New York Giants podcast. We're talking big blue football all year round. Welcome aboard, Giants fans, to episode 103 of our New York Giants podcast right here on NJ.com. Talk is cheap. I'm Joe Giglio, joined as always by James Scratch, Dan Duggan. They cover the Giants for NJ Advanced Media. They were at MetLife Stadium for Monday Night Football to watch the Giants' home opener, the Giants' 10-year anniversary of the 2007 championship team that ironically started 0-2, though I don't think we're going to spin that into what happened last night as the Giants go down 24-10 at home against the Lions in a game, James, we talked about last week, they really had to have, and not only did they not have it, there's more questions than answers, and the Giants frankly look awful through two weeks of the season. Before we get into this, just a couple things to throw out there for the audience. The Giants have scored 13 points through two games, the fewest since 1947. 20, fewer than 20 points at seven straight games dating back to last year. And here's the kicker. They've lost each of their first two games by 14-plus points. That is the first time that it's ever happened in Giants franchise history. James, there's probably 20 more stats like that we could give out. It's ugly right now. Hey, yeah, but but other than that, you know, Joe, I mean, this is going <laughs> swimmingly. Uh, look, the Giants, they're a mess. They're a complete mess. This is a debacle. Uh, we'll get into this later. They're going to Philly on Sunday. The season's on the line because they're not the 1998 Bills in all likelihood. Uh, it's very hard to env- envision, especially with the schedule they have this year, that they can start 0-3 and then climb their way back into the playoff hunt and get to the playoffs, even though the NFC East might be a division that, you know, 9-7 and seven wins. I mean, uh, it's bad. It's bad all around. The offensive line is horrible. The quarterback is bad. The coaching is bad. The front office did a poor job constructing this roster. Uh, there's a lot of major issues, and it's amazing that a couple of weeks ago, we had major media outlets and local outlets picking this team to win the Super Bowl. I don't even know if they could beat the Jets right now. So uh, it's pretty bleak. So what happened, Dan? I mean, James is right. A couple of weeks ago, that talk was out there. I mean, we had Jonathan Casillas on with us at uh, Reds and Carl Staff for our 100th episode. And, I mean, he talked freely and openly with us about the expectations they had. I mean, the, we threw out the words Super Bowl and playoffs, and it wasn't like, you know, he was shying away from that. Nobody around the Giants has. And yet after two weeks, they look like one of the worst teams in the NFL, especially offensively. Dan, what happened here? Were we all crazy or are they just playing way down compared to where they should be playing? Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. I mean, I'm sitting here two weeks ago, predicted this team to go 11 and five. I think we were all just a little bit guilty uh, of overlooking the offensive line woes. Now, we weren't nearly as guilty as Jerry Reese and Ben McAdoo, uh, because I think even when we had 
you know, positive predictions for this team, we did point out that could be the one Achilles heel uh, that, you know, that is the team's biggest weakness and they didn't address it. I think though, you, you kind of get caught up in some of the sexier pickups of a Brandon Marshall who hasn't done anything in the first two games and Evan Engram who actually has shown that, Hey, this guy, if they could, you know, get a little bit of blocking, he might be that weapon that they thought they were adding in the first round. Um, you knew the defense was back. I think the defense has still been, Good to very good, but hasn't been great and lights out like it was last year. But there's a ton put on their plate, so I'm not I'm not pointing any blame at the defense. But I think yeah, I think the biggest problem is uh, the fact that they didn't change the offensive line. My feeling was kind of like, well, hey, they went 11 and five with this offensive line last year. They added some better weapons. They have a good defense. They should be able to you know do as well this year. And clearly, through two games, that seems like flawed uh, thinking. And the, and the bigger problem this year is the schedule is so much tougher. I mean, these were two games I thought they would win. And now you really start to get to the, the meat of the schedule where it's, you know, at Philly, at Tampa. Uh, I know then they got at Denver two weeks after that, Seattle at home. I mean, this first seven-week stretch is just brutal. And, and like James said, I mean, it's getting late early. I mean, if they fall 0-3, you can pretty much wrap it up. Uh, this is such a must win on Sunday and it's such a bad matchup because, uh, you know, this Eagles front seven is ferocious and Eli Manning's been running for his life and getting sacked by defensive lines that we didn't really think were that good. And after seeing what they did to this Giants offensive line, uh, you know, hit the panic button, sound the alarms, whatever you need to do. Uh, the, the, just the biggest problem is I don't know, you know, at this point how they fix it, uh, you know, based on the personnel they have and based on the way McAdoo's been run this offense. Uh, and so that's the biggest concern right now for me. Yeah, next few weeks, uh, you have Brandon Graham. Uh, two weeks after that, Joey Bosa, then Von Miller, then the Seahawks, then Aaron Donald. I mean, it is not going to get any easier. And James, Dan just mentioned Ben McAdoo. And like he's the head coach of this team. He's also the offensive coach of this team. He calls the plays. He was the guy brought in here to fix this offense. And ironically, when he was the offensive coordinator and Tom was still the head coach, the offense did look fixed. Yet since Ben McAdoo became the head coach, it's not just that the offense is broken or it's not, it's bad. The Giants don't have a good offense. I mean, that's, that's just what it is. And then you, after the game last night, I know Ben started that press conference by saying he put it on him, but then he goes and I think for the, that's, this is the most I've ever heard anyone around the Giants throw Eli Manning under the bus or criticize Eli Manning as publicly as Ben McAdoo did in that press conference on Monday night. I mean, what do you make of this head coach right now who, just frankly, I think it look, looks like he's lost out there. Yeah, I mean, that surprised me. And look, I've said this on the podcast before. I feel that with Eli, for the media that covers the team, for the Giants, I mean, you can kind of just heap a lot of you know scorn on him, and it doesn't really matter. I mean, he's so even keel. You know, I, I said it before. It's like you know punching a pillow. Like nothing's going to happen. But that was really quite pointed. And quite blunt from McAdoo. And I'll be honest with you, like, I, I, look, yes, it, it probably is on the quarterback that they had to delay a game in that situation. But for Ben McAdoo to sit there and stand there and basically give a full dissertation about how Eli screwed it up and then be asked, well, why didn't you call timeout on the sideline, Ben? And then basically be like, well, uh, the quarterback, should, I mean, that, that's ridiculous. OK, you're the head coach of the team. And not to draw parallels, but two years ago in Dallas, you stood there when you were the offensive coordinator and did nothing, and he didn't take a sack, and you ended up having the Cowboys come right down the field on your worst defense in franchise history and steal a game out of your hands. So it's just like at some point, Ben, yes, Eli should have gotten a snap off. But come on, if you could break, if you could break down 
that sequence and such eloquence and throw Eli under the bus after the game, you should have been able to call a timeout when there was two seconds left on the clock and go scream at Eli then, but at least have it open to you to go for that touchdown. Because look, the Giants have been inside their opponent's 10-yard line twice this season. They've gotten field goals both times. If they score a touchdown there, I think it would have made it 17-14. Do they win the game? Probably not, but it's a hell of a lot more interesting probably down the stretch than it was keeping it 17-10. So that's my thing with McAdoo. Like, it's fine. You can blame Eli. And, and honestly, Eli should get blamed. He hasn't played well for you know, almost over a year now. But to sit there and basically just say that you had nothing to say, it's on me, but let me pass the blame around a little bit more now. Uh, you know, it's just, that's weak. Joe, my biggest problem is just how inconsistent he is when he handle, hands out the blame pie. You know, he, he threw uh, Eli under the bus last night. He threw Odell under the bus after the kicking that thing. And now the thing is, both times, I think McAdoo was speaking the truth. I mean, it, that's Eli's fault. I don't really even agree with James. I don't think the coach can be responsible for calling a timeout when Eli has the play clock in front of him. And, you know, he's, he's looking at it. You got to think he's going to make the, you know, get the snap off. But that's beside the point. I think that was accurate criticism. I think it was fair to say that, you know, Odell was out of hand. But now when you put that stuff in the public, and granted, we want that. We want coaches to be honest. But he has to be obviously more worried about how things are going to play in that locker room. So, again, Eli, like James said, is an easy target. But don't guys have to wonder, what does Eric Flowers have to do to have a critical word uttered about him? You know, what does Brandon Marshall have to do to have a critical word uttered about him? I mean, you, it, I don't think it's a wise way to go about it where you're just picking guys. You're going to pick on this guy, but you're going to baby this guy. You're going to take a shot at this guy. You're going to coddle that guy. I don't think that's going to play over the long term. I think they got away with a lot last year because they won. I mean, that's the ultimate deodorant. Uh, any locker room problem gets squashed. And I'll give him credit. Even after 0-2, I wouldn't be surprised if there was some finger-pointing publicly. I mean, now maybe there's stuff going on behind the scenes we don't know. They've done a very good job of, of still pre- uh, you know, presenting United front from top to bottom. And, you know, all the players said the right things after the game, especially the defense, who you know, I think we're all waiting for probably one player to pop off because it, it kind of has to be coming. It's just human nature. If, you're, uh, if things are so lopsided the way it is with this team right now, if you're on the defense, you have to you know, get frustrated. So I think at some point, if, if this continues, that'll, that'll come out. But uh, I just think Mack is playing with fire there. He has no goodwill built up with this fan base at all. I mean, listen, Eli has not played well for a year plus. I think even the staunchest Eli defenders can concede that he's, you know, he's not playing at a high level. They'll give you a million excuses, but I think they'll concede that. Still, they don't want the coach who basically kind of landed in this job without much of a resume to be taking shots at the two-time Super Bowl MVP who's brought more to this franchise than, you know, McAdoo could be, do if he was here for 10 years, most likely. Uh, they just, it just doesn't sit well with fans. I mean, I'm just telling you based on what I see in social media, uh, you know, Eli is definitely a part of the problem, but so much of the attention and the spotlight is directed at McAdoo, and, and it only makes him look worse. when Because I've been calling for him to take some of the responsibility. He finally did. He started his press conference saying it's on me, so I, I, I gave him a, uh, a round of applause for that. But then he, he kind of went backwards on me there by then throwing Eli under the bus, you know, uh, in the next breath. So uh, I don't know. His leadership style uh, worked when they won, like it does for a lot of coaches. Let's see uh, how it's received if, if things keep going in this direction. And Jen, I think you hit the nail on the head. And James, you can tell right after this, you could give uh, your point. I think the nail on the head with the Eli stuff. I mean, I go back to think about with Tiki Barber. Tiki Barber is a borderline Hall of Famer, one of the great giant players really of all time. And he carried the Giants when Eli was young and was that a very inconsistent quarterback. He criticized Eli, and it's almost like he is, he's been ostracized. Like the Giants fans don't even want to remember Tiki Barber was a giant because he criticized Eli. I mean, it's just a bad strategy. And for everything you just said, Dan, I mean, he's accomplished what he's accomplished. He hasn't played well. He's part of the problem. But James, and, and you could – 
touch on this with your point. I thought when they hired Ben McAdoo, and I thought whoever the next coach was going to be, Ben McAdoo became that guy. Part of the job was to transition this thing as Eli declined and to figure out a way to still win with Eli Manning before he really was completely washed up. That's part of Ben's responsibility. So if he can't do it, then maybe he's not the right guy for the job. Definitely. And that's something that kind of popped in my head last night. Now, look, I'm impressed by saying Ben McAdoo is not going to get fired. Okay. I mean, he's in his second year. He made the playoffs last year. The Maras and the Tishes are very patient. This, that's not the Giants' way. He's fine. Even, I mean, you know, like, look, if if they go 2-14, and 14, I think you know, everything's kind of on the table. But they're not going to go 2-14. and 14. They're going to win. A, they're going to win games. I don't know how many games they're going to win. But what I'm saying is McAdoo's going to be here at 99.9% certainty. But that being said, if he – I think him and Eli are kind of tied at the hip. Remember, Ben signs a four-year contract when he gets the job when Eli is beginning the first year of his four-year contract. So if Ben is going to antagonize Eli and Eli is basically just going downhill from here, then when Eli walks off, whether it's two years from now, three years from now, whenever, and the Giants' offense has been a disaster – what is John Mara going to say? I mean, how is he going to say, well, you know what? Now it's time to, to develop Davis Webb or it's time for us to go get a quarterback in a draft. What's to say that Ben McAdoo is going to prove that he deserves to be the guy who gets to, like, go on that ride? Nothing. No, nothing so at all. He it's has very, it. It's, it's, it's kind of interesting that a guy who he's kind of here like – he basically got the job because Eli kind of turned back the clock in his two years as coordinator. And for him to kind of be like taking these shots at Eli and look, maybe maybe this is the right button to push, and maybe as we've said in the past, it's just gonna, you know, Eli Eli's Teflon, and it's just gonna roll off him, and maybe maybe this will actually he'll rise to the occasion somehow, but it, it's a questionable strategy at best. And just because I figure we gotta get into Eric Flowers at some point, you know, Dan's right. I understand the whole idea that McAdoo is consistent and that he treats everyone differently. And maybe he thinks that criticizing Odell publicly or Eli publicly, that's the right button to push. And maybe he feels that you know he's not there yet with a guy like Brandon Marshall. But with Eric Flowers, I mean, I think the Giants have run out of buttons to push at this point. None of them work. So at some point, you either have to criticize the guy or you just have to quietly move him someplace else. I think we're at the latter point because I don't think the Giants are ever going to do the former. But, I mean, this is – it's astounding to me that the flower situation has gotten to where it is. And, yes, he's only one guy, and there's 11 guys on the field, and the entire offense struggles. But Eric Flowers is so painfully obvious that he is the biggest issue with this offense right now. And the Giants need to finally accept that and do something about it. Well, I mean, this goes back to Dan. I mean, this is this word's thrown out a lot when people don't like coaches or don't believe in coaches or schemes or whatever. But literally, the definition of insanity is what the Giants are doing with Eric Flowers. They don't give him help. They expect different results. And it's the same thing every time. He just can't cut it right now as a left tackle in the NFL. And they have an, you know, an immobile quarterback and an offense that's just – it's stagnant. I mean, how much longer can they continue this? It, it's going to derail the season. Yeah, no, it is. I don't I don't know how you can keep putting them out there, especially putting them out there the way they did, at least for the first half into the third quarter, one-on-one on an island with a good pass rusher. I mean, 
and people on Twitter, like, you know, coaches, Brian Billick, I saw, and Michael Lombardi, and I, I heard Gruden on the broadcast was, like, screaming to help him. I mean, you don't have to be a football expert to, to see that, but I'm saying it was obvious to all these guys who have been in the game, and again, it was obvious to the armchair quarterbacks. You cannot leave a guy who's such a liability on an island time after time. Where is the chips from the running backs? Rhett Ellison, you gave this guy $18 million. My goodness, that seems like a waste of money. He doesn't even play. But wasn't he supposed to be someone who could help pass block? Now, I never bought into that. I don't think you you sign a tight end to basically be your sixth offensive lineman and, and babysit the left tackle. But it's probably worth a shot at this point because clearly Flowers can't hack it. And with the McAdoo, I don't think it would be right for McAdoo to criticize Flowers. I think it'd probably be right for him to probably just tone down the criticism in general because I don't, I don't think that really benefits you a lot. Again, as reporters, we ask the questions, and if you give them to us, we run with them. It's a headline, and we're happy. Uh, I don't think it's right in their best interest. So him you know, dumping on Flowers would, would only make it worse. So I think he's probably doing the right approach. But it's also kind of insulting to our intelligence when he gets asked a question directly about Flowers and says, oh, it's, it's not just one guy. I mean, you can at least word things in a way that acknowledges the problem. Like Justin Pugh, I kind of tip my cap to him because he, he handled things very well as a teammate last night. He didn't defend Eric Flowers' play because, again, we all have eyes. You can't just lie to us and say, oh, he's he's playing well. You guys don't know what's going on, blah, blah, blah. He, he didn't really touch his play. He said, listen, the kid knows he's not doing – you know, what he wants to do, what he's supposed to do, uh, you know, and then Pew just kind of got his back saying it's tough. You know, he's getting all this scrutiny. It only makes it worse. Now, I mean, hey, Pew can say that. It's not going to stop what anyone's going to write and what fans are going to think. But, uh, you know, that was a way to get his back without just insulting our intelligence of saying, oh, you don't know. It's 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 not all flowers. I mean, we see plays where, you know, they do the slow motion replays and it's him and Ansa one on one. And he just, you know, goes around him like it's a, a you know fire cone. It, it's just brutal to watch. And, and I don't know how you can justify keep putting him out there the problem it's going to come back to and i think we're going to get into it is there's no other option and it it shouldn't be a surprise that he's this bad because he was this bad for his first two years um they didn't address it and again they don't even seem to address it in games they're going to have to start giving him some help if they're not going to make a drastic move like putting pew at left tackle which i I don't think they'll do uh, they have to at least scheme around him a little bit you can't just kind of cross your fingers and hope that he's magically going to learn how to block in his third season so, James, what are the options here? I know you wrote about um, some ideas for the Giants if they really want to consider everything to fix this offense because it, it's broken. I mean, they haven't scored over 20 points at a game since last November in Cleveland against the Browns. That is an eternity in the NFL, especially for a team that has a two-time Super Bowl quarterback, a all-world wide receiver, uh, has Sterling Shepard as a promising player, drafted a tight end in the first round, signed Brandon Marshall, who we'll get into. I mean, just looks totally disengaged, but uh, – it's ridiculous how inept they are at scoring points. How do they fix it? When it starts with Eric Flowers, I mean, the only good option is sitting in wherever the heck the, the, the Rams have their facility now in California, protecting Jared Goff's blind side. Okay? This team should have signed Andrew Whitworth in free agency when they had the chance to. And, yes, they could have done it. They could have done it. They could have kept JPP. They could – they could have made the salary cap work if it had meant that they had to cut DRC. I know Giants fans love DRC, and they get very upset when we mention the idea of getting rid of DRC. But he's a thirty-something cornerback who makes a lot of money. You know, which would you rather have, Andrew Whitworth and maybe Cody Sensible as your slot cornerback, or DRC and Eric Flowers as your left tackle? I think that's a pretty easy decision to make. But the Giants did make that decision, and we'll get to Jerry Reese later on on the tour. So this is what they have. I think they should put Pew at left tackle. It's not fair to Pew. He's a left guard. He, that's what he's going to play. It might 
kind of grease the skids, maybe for Pew to leave at, in free agency. But look, that he's their best lineman. Left tackle is the most important spot on the offensive line. If you're going to put him at right tackle and rejigger your entire offensive line when Bobby Hart's ankle gives out two snaps in, why not just go all the way and put Pew at left tackle? Uh, put Flowers at right tackle. Look, is that's not going to fix his technique problems, but you got to put him somewhere. Or if you think Hart can get healthy and, and play, Put Flowers on the bench. You don't have a real swing tackle on this team. You have Chad Wheeler, who – this is amazing, guys. Chad Wheeler and Geno Smith were the only two Giants that did not play against the Lions. Obviously, Geno didn't play. He's the backup quarterback, so unless Eli gets hurt, he's not going to play. But how do you have a swing tackle on your roster that you will not put in a game? I mean, it, it makes no sense. The fact that Bobby Hart got hurt and the Giants had to put their backup guard at left guard and put their left guard at right tackle because their only other tackle on the roster is an undrafted rookie that they just won't even put in a game. I mean, that's just ridiculous. And that falls on the general manager. How do you build? That's not how you build a roster. If you have a roster that requires musical chairs when one guy gets hurt, then you don't have a very good roster. So, look, I don't think the Giants are going to move Flowers. I think they're just hell-bent on keeping him there. It's not fair to him. It's not fair to the team. But this is what they've decided to do. This is, this is what they've done. They have no options, and I think they're stuck. Well, then they're screwed because the coach is rigid and won't do anything here. And, Dan, as James just said, the GM, Jerry Reese, gave Ben McAdoo this team to work with. And, you know, Jerry Reese built this team in the offseason almost like a fantasy football team. There are extra wide receivers. You go out and get a tight end slash wide receiver and Ingram in the first round. And, and we had this conversation, you know, 20 times since the end of last season. They ignored the biggest hole. And, you know, in the game, we're watching the game. Monday Night Football, you guys are there. We're watching Eric Flowers get run around. We're watching Ben McAdoo on the sideline look just completely clueless. But the guy upstairs that isn't being shown on TV, the guy upstairs that is watching this thing is Jerry Reese. But his fingerprints are on this mess. Yeah, I mean, I have a few thoughts. I'll go back to something James said I agree with wholeheartedly. It's really not Eric Flowers' fault. I mean, for all, you know, intents and purposes, he's trying. He's just not very good. So, I mean, if you put me at left tackle, and even if you gave me $10 million, I still wouldn't be able to block an NFL defensive end. Now, granted, I know it's, you know, it's not an apples, it's an apples comparison. But the point being, if you put someone who's overmatched in a position and they fail, it's kind of hard to blame the guy who's overmatched. You know, he's at most, he's a right tackle. He might be a guard. He might be a backup. He might be out of the league in two years. We don't know. But the, it's clear that he's not an NFL left tackle. So at some point, you have to stop putting all the vitriol at flowers, uh, especially when the Giants spent all offseason trumpeting how hard he worked in the offseason. My goodness, imagine if he didn't work hard, what would it look like? Because these are the results when he supposedly was, you know, in that gym every day, just, you know, working, working, working. Um, so th that aside, uh, to, to Jerry Reese, it's funny because he does kind of you know, slide under the radar. I know there's a certain pocket of the fan base who doesn't let, let anything slide under the radar with Jerry Reese, but, you know, he's not on the field. He's not in the press conference. He talks very rarely. So he kind of, you know, put the team together in the offseason. He's in, you know, he's in the crosshairs and free agency in the draft. But then when the season gets going, it's easy to kind of lose sight. But I, I don't think that's going to happen this year because, again, this offensive line was the one thing that stood out like a red flag uh, all offseason that needed to be addressed. And the fact that they, they just didn't even come close to addressing, even if they had brought in a veteran left tackle to potentially push Flowers or Hart, and it didn't work out, you could say, Oh, well, I mean, they went with, you know, DJ Fluker, who had, you know, flamed out in the Chargers, and he's so far down the depth chart that he seems to be behind Chad Wheeler, an undrafted free agent. He's clearly behind Brett Jones. Uh, you can't push any of these starters. So 
uh, you know, that was basically, uh, I don't know. more what... expensive Will Beatty. That's what yeah, it is. Yeah, exactly. I don't know how else to describe it. I mean, it was, it was a complete flyer, and clearly they didn't see anything, and they have no faith in him. Uh, you know, the only draft pick they used was a sixth-round pick on Adam Bisnavati, who, you know, didn't even make the team out of camp. So they just didn't make any moves to address such a glaring weakness. And I don't even know if they need to, you know, I'm not going to go revisit the entire spending of the offseason. I don't even know if they needed to cut DRC. I think they could have made the money work with Whitworth, you know, otherwise they were supposedly going to give uh, Jonathan Hankins three years, $24 million. That's almost, yeah. you know, would have given you a, a good chunk of the Whitworth money. You know, you cut JT Thomas, you don't sign Red Ellison, who doesn't play anyways. You don't There's sign a lot Fluker. of ways. Yeah, there's a lot of ways to find a few bucks under the, you know, the sofa cushions when it comes that close. I mean, you can't go and sign a guy for a hundred million, but you know, Whitworth wasn't, you know, looking for that much money. But uh, yeah, I mean, Jerry Reese, it's just, it's, it's such a flawed way they built this team. Everybody knows Eli Manning is, you know, to use Jerry's words, on the back nine, and he's never been the most mobile quarterback. And you have a pass happy offense. You didn't invest in the run game, and you're going to put him behind a leaky offensive line. It just doesn't make any sense. That had to have been the priority. Now, granted. They have used some early draft picks and, you know, Pew's worked out pretty well. Rich Briggs been okay. Flowers have been a disaster. Um, but to just not fortify that offensive line when you have an aging quarterback who's not mobile, but you're going to throw the ball 75% of the time, it just makes no sense. Now, what we're seeing is the results, you know, of these deficiencies. Now, again, I, I still think there's a chance that they can kind of right the ship. I mean, I think this game on Sunday obviously is huge. Uh, you know, I think it's hard to – Hard to uh, remember that this team was two and three last year when Odell, you know, saved them from basically going off a cliff. So you never know. Things can change quickly uh, in the NFL. But if it does continue down this path, I think the finger probably has to be pointed first to Jerry because we saw these problems all last season. Uh, they were begging to be addressed all offseason and they just never were. So you can't sit there and say, oh, you know, how did this how did this happen? Well, I mean, you kind of could see the. The, the seeds were being sown and, and just didn't address it. So uh, I think that is going to be uh, where the, the most blame goes if this season continues, you know, the way it's trending right now. All right, let's look at, at the season now moving forward and, and specifically if, James, they can somehow right this ship. And, you know, Giants fans like to hearken to the past. I'm not talking about the 80s. I'm talking about the mo more recent past. Obviously, 2017 was honored. They were 0-2. Uh, the 2011 team, there were similarities between those two teams and how they got in and made their run. Now, those teams had two things that this team doesn't have, or at least on one they don't. The other we don't know yet. They don't have Tom Coughlin, and the Giants rallied around Tom, and he found a way to prepare them for games, and they got up for games when their back was against the wall. I don't know yet about Ben. We're going to find out a lot on Sunday. I don't, I'm, not, not a, I'm not a big believer in Ben McAdoo and, and as the head coach of his team. The other thing that those Giants teams had – they had Eli Manning, especially the 11 team. I mean, he won a lot of games, and he pulled a lot of rabbits out of his hat. He doesn't look like he can do that anymore, James. And Ben McAdoo might be able to change the scheme a little bit. They might be able to shuffle the offensive line. Eli's the quarterback. How big of a problem, when you watch Eli right now, is he? It's tough for me to say because, on one hand, the results are clear. Uh, he's struggled mightily since going back to the start of last season. On the other, and I think you guys see this too, physically you don't see a decline. I mean, he still seems to be throwing the ball well. Uh, he's not terribly mobile, but, I mean, he's never been ter very mobile, so I, I don't know how much of that is an issue. The offensive line, I mean, he's constantly under duress. So on one hand, I say to myself, we're, it's just, it's simple. Just look at what you're seeing, and what you're seeing is a 36-year-old quarterback who's begun the backslide. On the other hand... I think if the physical skills are still there, if he still has a strong arm, 
if they can somehow get him a little bit more protection, you know, maybe he can be Eli. And what I say about Eli is he's never been, you know, an elite regular season quarterback. So you're going to have throws like the throw to Ingram that got picked off. I mean, that's just going to happen. He's going to have his stinker games. But the problem is, you know, in 2015, Eli would have a stinker game. Then he have a really good game. Uh, we don't really get the really good game anymore. We just get stinker games and, you know, just kind of their games. So I, I, I'm hesitant to, to bury Eli completely, but I'm also very hesitant to do what other people are saying and just think that somehow he's going to snap out of this and put his cape on and he's going to save this team. Yeah, it's hard to think he is. I mean, I'm looking at the Giants year-by-year record, and look, every, basically every year from when he took over, Dan, in 2005, he became a – that was his first year as a full starter – through 2012, which is an eight-year run. They never had a losing record, not one time. A couple 500s, a couple good seasons, obviously the Super Bowl, uh, two Super Bowls, but they never had a losing record. And now I'm looking at it, 13, 14, 15. Uh, last year they had a really good year, it bounced back. But if they don't win this year, we're going to be saying, you know, four to five years, he's been the quarterback of a team with a losing record. It's It's just a weird thing. Last year feels like a blip compared to what, Eli's career is now turned into, which is it's not very good anymore. Right. Although then you also go back a couple of years when McAdoo first got there and he was really good and the yeah. defense was terrible. So it's right. been, he's had one of the more unique careers. I think everyone can you know agree on that. I mean, it's, it's really been amazing. I, I, the thing I've always said about him is his ceiling is very high and his floor is very low. Like for a, for a, you know, a good quarterback, a very good quarterback, is rare to have such a discrepancy from your best and your worst. And, and you know, he can yo-yo like nobody else, but uh, it, you know, it goes back to what I was saying. I just think that it's a flawed team. He he needs to be behind a good offensive line. Now, if you want to say that's a flaw of his, well, I mean, you've, you already gave him the money, so he's going to be the quarterback. So you have to plan accordingly. You can't say, well, you know, why doesn't he run more? Because I mean, he's Eli Manning. That's not what he does. So you have to you, you build the team around a quarterback, and especially one like him who's been here for so long. You knew, you've known for years, this is going to be our guy to take us into, you know, when they gave him a four-year extension when he was whatever he was, 34, 35 years old. You knew what you were signing up for. So it's it's hard to say. Um, that, you know, it's, it's kind of Eli's fault that he's not more, you know, elusive in the pocket. The one thing I'll say, I thought as the game wore on, uh, on Monday night, he actually did hang in the pocket a little bit better and he paid the price. I mean, there's that one play where he got absolutely like pile driven when he, he somehow got the ball to Sterling Shepard, where he got just crushed as he threw and the ball flowed in the air, but it was, it was kind of telling that that was one of their best offensive plays when it was just a complete desperation heave. Uh, and he made another play where I think he stepped up in the pocket and find Jarrell Adams for a deep ball down the sideline. Uh, he threw a great pass to Brandon Marshall down the sideline. He threw a good pass to Evan Ingram late. That would have been a tough catch, but you know, first round pick, you get you get a hard hit at the goal line. You're a tight end. We'd like to see you hold on to that ball, and it's, that's a different game. Might have been a touchdown to to bring it within a score. So I, I I thought he was bad, very bad against Dallas. I thought he was up and down a little bit, but I thought he did hang in the pocket a little better. But then you see that hit I'm talking about on the on the pass to Shepard. You don't want him taking those hits. So once in a while, when he does kind of throw the ball into the ground, maybe a little bit prematurely. It's it's sort of the balance. I mean, because you don't want him reliving the uh, NFC Championship game against the 49ers every week because, you know, you'll never make it. And then if you think Geno Smith's going to be a better option behind this line, I think you'd be in for a rude awakening. So, I don't know. I mean, with Eli, it's 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 such a polarizing guy where, where some people want to put all the blame on him. Some people don't want to put any blame on him. I, think, I come somewhere in the middle. I think, you know, there definitely needs to be some blame. We can't excuse, you know, as James said, the interception was a terrible throw. He had time in the pocket. But I just keep going back to it. It's a little bit of a chicken and the egg. Uh, it, it, does he not trust his offensive line? That makes him play bad. 
I'm inclined to believe that is a big part of it. Now you might say, well, Hey, you still got overcoming, you know, you don't get a pass just because you have a bad offensive line. Um, but I, I do think just in the reality of it, that's, that's the biggest factor. I think that's really, uh, you know, made him look so bad uh, in this last year plus. Now, can the defense save the day, James? I, mean, that, I think that's the question. I mean, the, the, the offense has to be better. They can't play like this the entire season. And, you know, anyone could expect them to reel off, you know, 10 and 4 the next 14 games and win enough to get to the playoffs. But can the defense save the day? They've played well the first couple of weeks. Dan mentioned earlier. It's, it's like we're not talking about them the way we did last year because the results are different in terms of wins and losses. But the defense is playing well enough to, to hold up. I mean, if they just play competently on offense, they should win some games. It starts this week against the Eagles, whose offense has moved the ball, but they have issues on the offensive line. They can't run it. They've struggled to protect Wentz. I mean, this should be a spot where the Giants' defense could ugly this game up and maybe give them a chance. Are they good enough to save this season while the offense gets going, or is the offense so bad it, it might be a lost cause? Yeah, I uh, Giants fans don't want to hear this, but I don't think the defense can, can save the season like that. Just because I look at this – I mean, they've scored 13 points through two games – this is not a giant. This is a giant. Look, the Giants' defense is very good. It was very good last year, but they were giving up what you know, 10, 17 points a game. Well, they're looking at a team now where it's almost like they got to hold a team to under ten points to have a chance, and, and that's just they're just not that type of defense. The pass rush is inconsistent. They've got some holes in the secondary when they have injuries. You know, the linebacking situation. It's a very good defense. It's not an elite defense that's just going to completely, totally smother you. And this year, now that they're kind of struggling against the run, I think it's been kind of magnified a bit. I don't think they're good enough. To, I mean, yes, if the Giants offense can start to punch around 20 points a game somehow, then definitely they can. the defense can kind of carry a little bit more of the load and they can start winning again. But to ask this defense to save the season, I mean, you're basically like, all right, they're going to Philadelphia on Sunday. If the Eagles score 13 points, are the Giants going to win that game? I don't think so. I don't know. Well, I mean, that's ugly. It's the truth, though. I mean, based on what they've been this year and based on what they were the last, you know, five, six, seven games last year, that that's it's a fair assessment of what the Giants are right now. Dan, let's look forward here. Sunday, 1 o'clock, Lincoln Financial Field, Giants at the Eagles. I I have two thoughts on this, and, and they, they go against each other. The first is... <laughs> The Giants are cooked. I mean, they can't block. Eli's going to get killed. Um, they're just going to get destroyed by an Eagles team that's probably out for blood with maybe the best pass rush in the NFL. My other thought is it's the NFC East. We've seen this story before where a team has a bad couple weeks and then they bounce back against a division opponent on the road sometimes and everything gets jumbled in the division again. What's your feel right now on, on the game that probably determines the Giants' season? Yeah, no, it just it doesn't it doesn't feel real good. I mean, if this team is gonna, uh, you know, obviously make a run, it has to start this Sunday, and and you know maybe this will we'll be talking about it somewhere down the road that this is when it all turned around because everything is stacked against them. I mean, it's going to a place where they've had very little success recently. Even if you go back to last year when the Giants were, uh, you know, a better team and were playing for everything, and the Eagles were playing for nothing, and they were down there in Week 16 and got smacked around. Uh, it's just a terrible matchup. The, the you know the Eagles strength with their pass rush. I mean, watching that game uh, that they played on Sunday, I, I, Eli Manning's probably sitting on his couch, you know, spiking their remote, just getting ready to get rid of the ball because, uh, you know, they were in the backfield all day. And, and I can't imagine what that's going to be like against this Giants offensive line. I mean, all that being said, you know, the Eagles didn't win the game. I mean, they, they still, they're not the perfect team. Uh, you know, their offense has some question marks. I mean, it's just funny. You, you go on NJ.com 
you could cover up the coach's name and, and ask if the question is about Ben Mackett or Doug Peterson because they're both kind of yep. uh, in the crosshairs for their offensive shortcomings and play calling and all this type of things. And, you know, very similar boats as, you know, second-year uh, coaches that, uh, you know, are in, in tough markets. So uh, it's not as if the Eagles are this uh, this juggernaut that's unbeatable. And I'm not trying to build them up like that. I just feel like it's, it's just a really bad matchup for the Giants. But listen, it wouldn't shock me at all if they go in there and win. I mean, Odell presumably will be closer to 100%. That's, you know, obviously the ultimate X factor in, in any Giants game. Uh, maybe the team does dig deep and and has some pride. I mean, I think the expectation is that, you know, B.J. Goodson and Janoris Jenkins will be back. That'll obviously help the defense uh, a little bit more. But there's no way you can go in feeling good, <laughs> you know, about this matchup for the Giants. Uh, so it's basically if this team is, is kind of built of, you know, what they've said they're built of, you know, all offseason. And if they have, you know, Super Bowl medal, they're going to have to show it this Sunday because, you know, time's running out for them to uh, to live up to these lofty expectations. It is, James. The line on this game in Vegas was uh, Eagles favored by three and a half before the Giants took the field on Monday night, which is basically means it's a, you know, a toss up game. The Eagles get the three points for home field. But, it's, you know, Vegas says yeah, they're pretty even. Uh, it's six as we have this conversation on Tuesday afternoon. I mean, uh, the people who do this kind of stuff said, oh, boy, the Giants are bad. This looks like an, uh, an Eagles victory. When you look at the game and obviously everything rides on this one because, I just can't imagine the Giants could go 0-3 and, and rebound. Like, if they don't win this week, the season is probably over, considering the expectations they had. Yeah, I think six is a little bit too high. That's just me. I think maybe Vegas is going to make some money off some people who are kind of reacting off of Monday night. Uh, but I think the Eagles are – look, I picked the Eagles to win the East coming into the season. I think they're clearly the better team. They're one. They're they're one and one, but I think their one and one is the best one and one in the division because they were so competitive in, in Kansas City against the Chiefs over the weekend. Uh, I look at this game and look if the Giants can f- somehow find a way to win the game. And Dan's right, everything is kind of riding against them going to this matchup. Then I I think that the first seven games is very difficult, but if the Giants can get to the bye at three and four. Somehow, which would mean they go three and two over the next five, which I don't think it's likely at this point, but it's not impossible if you figure if they somehow beat the Eagles and maybe they, they beat the Chargers at home and maybe split either the Bucks trip, which, you know, I mean, we saw the Bucks play the Bears, so I, I think it's too early to make major judgment on them, or they somehow beat the Seahawks in week seven in what will be maybe the worst display of offensive line play in the history of the NFL. <laughs> I mean, that, that's going to be like a demolition derby. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like the Giants should probably activate Davis Webb for that game just because there's a chance they might have to get to that guy at some point. Uh, and no, and this, if they get to the buy at three and four, then they, they come out with that Rams Niners stretch. I mean, you could conceivably say, okay, you've got a shot to, to kind of put yourself back into contention by, you know, the stretch run. If they lose this game, they're done. I mean, there's no way that they're going to run the table after losing to Philly and starting 0-3 before the bye week. There's a lot of tough games coming. You know, we said when we previewed the season, you got three division games and the final four all at home. Were they going to actually be in the race to take advantage of that? It's looking pretty dicey right now. So, I think they got to get out. They got to hope Odell's 100%. I don't know why he played on Monday night. I thought that was a major risk to put him out there for to play 30 snaps and really have no impact in the game. Uh, made no sense to me, but they did it. They got through it, so now they have to hope he's 100%. 
they got to fix their offense somehow. I don't know how it can be fixed in six days, but that's why Ben McAdoo is a head coach, and that's why he gets paid the big bucks. And their defense is going to have to buckle up and realize that they might have to hold the Eagles to you know 12 points if they're going to have any chance to win. So uh, this is kind of a circle the wagons week in game for the Giants, and I don't think they have a very good chance of winning it, but you know I've been wrong before, so we'll, we'll see if they prove me wrong. Yeah, we all have. Uh, we all picked the Giants to go to the playoffs. They're on two right now. I mean, it, it's it's been a whole a couple of weeks of everyone being wrong. This is going to be a fascinating game. Giants, Eagles, one o'clock Sunday. We'll be back next week to break it down and and talk about a team that's you know teetering on the brink of just an awful season or one that had their best win and in, in, in probably about a year and they rally around McAdoo and Eli and, and everyone in that locker room. It's going to be fun. James, as always, thanks for doing this. You got it, Joe. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, thanks a lot, Joe. And thanks to all of you for listening to episode 103 of Talk is Cheap. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, anywhere you listen to podcasts, where they're including YouTube and, of course, on NJ.com. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs>